This podcast contains adult language and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. crazy how someone in this day and age with all the cameras and technology that's everywhere could just vanish off the face of the earth i know and never be seen again that is kind of weird yeah how are you there one day and then completely gone the next and there's just no sign it just doesn't make any sense especially when there were so many signs the day before and the day of and then just nothing yeah it happened so quickly, too, that I don't think anybody even had time to wrap their heads around what actually was going on. Right. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Bryce Laspisa, who went missing from Southern California in 2013. And we're going to talk about the events leading up to his disappearance and maybe some of the theories about what could have happened to him after he did disappear. Yeah, I think what I like about this case is it seems to make a lot of sense leading up, like everything seems to line up and then it just kind of doesn't. And there's so many theories that could make sense. That's that's the intriguing part to me for this case. There's a lot of signs that point to the fact that he's still alive. Yeah, absolutely. Which obviously makes it even that much more interesting that he very, very likely could still be out there. Yeah. So let's tell everybody a little bit about Bryce and what happened to him. Yeah. Bryce Pisa was born in Illinois and he was the only child of his parents. And they were really, really close Shortly after Bryce graduated high school in Naperville, Illinois, he and his parents moved down to Southern California in Laguna Niguel, and Bryce decided he didn't want to go to school right where his parents were. He was kind of over it. He was 18. He wanted to kind of move on and expand his horizon. So he actually moved up north and went to Sierra College, which is a community college in Rockland, California. And that's about six and a half hours from Laguna Niguel without traffic, but you do have to go through LA, so you're looking more at like... Eight hours, probably. Or 18, depending on what time of day it is. (laughs) True. So he went through his freshman year at Sierra College with what seemed like very little issues. I've seen a couple of reports that he had an arrest for possession of marijuana from 2012. But other than that, not really anything. He had a girlfriend named Kim and a roommate named Sean, who he was pretty close with. In the summer of 2013, so between his freshman and sophomore year... He went home to Laguna Niguel for the summer and spent the whole summer with his parents, Mike and Karen. And Mike and Karen say that he was normal all summer. There was no signs of any anything going on with him mentally or emotionally that they think he was completely normal. So at the end of August of 2013, Bryce headed back to school up in Rockland, California. And again, like this was just completely normal stuff. He had a good time in his last semester up, up in school, too. So, you know. He was excited to go back. And his roommate, Sean, said that he was drinking a lot the first couple weeks of school. And he started to notice kind of like a little bit of change in his behavior. And by about the 28th of August, which was a Wednesday, it was getting so, uh, what's the word, concerning for Sean? Out of hand, I think would be a great word. Yeah, that he decided to call Karen, Bryce's mom, and let her know that Bryce was acting strange. A lot of people say this is like unusual and, oh my God, he must have been really out of control for him to call his mom. But I don't think that's that unusual. If you were being out of control, I'd call your mom. (laughs) I do think it's a little strange. I don't think that guys like that would normally 
involve the other person's mom unless they were really concerned about them. So to me, that speaks volumes when I when I heard that. That really stood out. Yeah. So according to Sean, the roommate, he was drinking a lot, up to two bottles of liquor in a weekend. And he had told Karen that he had been taking the ADHD medication Vyvanse to stay up all night and play video games. And also drinking alcohol on top of it. So, I don't know. You probably shouldn't mix drugs and alcohol. That's yeah, definitely. That's probably the general life rule. <laughs> right. Especially a drug you're not prescribed. You shouldn't be taking it anyway. That's very dangerous. Yeah, definitely. And do we know even if he had any kind of ADHD issues or... No. No, nothing. It was just really just to stay up and play video games more. Oh, Bye. yeah. It was totally recreational. Okay. Yeah, and so he was acting strange. He had taken Vyvanse to stay up all night and play video games. He was drinking a lot, and he had broken up with his girlfriend of over two years over text message. You can't break up with somebody you've been dating for two years in a text. Yeah, and to me that screams that it's something going on in his head. He feels like she would be better without him, and he's just not in a good place to talk about it. To me, it seems like he's going through some kind of mental breakdown. Right. So a couple hours after receiving that call from her son's roommate, Karen got a call from Bryce and he had driven to Kim's house in Chico, California, which is like an hour and a half north of his own place in Rockland. And he had called Karen because he had gone there to have the breakup conversation because apparently Kim was not appreciative of being broken up with over text, I would imagine. <laughs> right. And when he got there, Kim said that he was acting so strangely, she didn't think he should drive. So she took his keys from him. So Bryce called his mom because Kim wouldn't give him his keys back. So after talking to Bryce and talking to Kim, she had told Bryce that she wanted to come up and visit him. And Bryce said, no, wait, I have a lot to tell you. Don't book any plane flights. You know, just kind of hold your horses. I have a lot to tell you. And so Karen says in this conversation that Bryce sounded normal. So she told Kim to give Bryce his keys back so he could leave. And at 11.30 p.m., Bryce left Kim's house. It's interesting to me that two people very close to him both reached out to his mom to say, like, hey, this is going on. And both times, mom kind of dismissed it and was like, eh, no, it's fine. I mean, the one time, I can definitely understand as a one-off, but now again, somebody else, and somebody else who's very close to him, you know, if I was the mom, I think I would really start getting kind of concerned about all that. Wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. The way his parents handled it, there's some questions. Yeah. I mean, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, if all of this stuff happened and then nothing happened to Bryce, nobody would ever think twice about it. So we can all look at this and really critique what they did in the moment. But in the moment, she thought he broke up with his girlfriend and she was mad and took his keys from him. And who knows? Maybe... Maybe he was able to pull it together when he was talking to his mom and, you know, when he was in that emotional state in front of his best friend or, or his girlfriend. It was different, but, you know, by the time it got to his mom, he was able to pull himself together and be like, okay, I'm fine. Right. Around 1 a.m. on Thursday, August 29th, Karen got a call from Bryce and she thought he was, you know, probably back at his apartment in Rockland. Right, because Rockland is an hour and a half south of Chico and he left. Kim's apartment at 11.30, so 1 a.m. would make sense for her thinking that. Yeah, but actually, cell towers then showed that he had been heading further south past Sierra College. Right, which is kind of like... What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. But at the time, she doesn't know this. She assumes that he's at his apartment, 
And I'm sure it was a short phone call. It was 1 a.m. Yeah. He probably just said, yeah, mom, I'm fine. And that was it. But later on in the same morning, his parents actually got a phone call from their auto insurance provider. And they let them know that Bryce's car that he had been driving, it needed some roadside assistance. And obviously, Karen, the mom who took the call, she was worried and called her son's roommate. And he let her know that Bryce hadn't returned and hadn't been home all night long. Yeah. And I would imagine... That she'd been trying to call Bryce, too, and he wasn't answering. Yeah, exactly. Before she would just call the roommate. But while they were trying to figure out what was going on, Mike and Karen noticed that there was a charge on their credit card. And apparently Bryce used their credit card so they could just log in and see what he had bought. And so they checked that and they saw that there was a charge from Buttonwillow, California, which is not really a huge place or... It's not like it's like, oh, it's L.A. or Chico or even Rockland. It's like a truck stop off the freeway. Yeah, I've only ever heard of it from this case. I've never heard of it before. And, you know, I've lived in California my entire life. Yeah, it's pretty much just a truck stop and a gas station. There's a couple of little shops, but it's just a pit stop pretty much. So maybe I've driven past Buttonwillow and not realized it because. Oh, yeah, we drive past it on our way up to Tyson's. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I have passed it and didn't, had no idea. Sorry, Button Willow. It's after you go up through LA and then up the grapevine and everything. When you get to that whole like stretch of the middle of nowhere between LA and Tyson's house, it's like somewhere in there. How many listeners from Button Willow do you think we have? None. I'm sure none. I don't know that there's people there. If somebody's from Button Willow, please go to our From Crime to Crime Instagram and let us know that you're from Button Willow and tell us all the wonderful things about Button Willow that we don't know. This town is a few hours north of Laguna Niguel. And a few hours south of Bryce's place in Rockland. So they assumed that Bryce was on his way to their house. And maybe they assumed that because he had told them that he had a lot to tell them and all that. But I'm not sure why he would be going down to their house in the middle of the week, his first two weeks of school. It's a Thursday. His second week of school, he probably should have had classes. But maybe they thought because he was acting strange and then he told his mom that he had a lot to tell her. Maybe he's like, okay, he's coming home to tell us whatever it is he has to tell us. Yeah, I think I think I think so too. At nine a.m., Mike saw that there was a charge on their credit card, and it was at this truck and tire place called Castro Tire and Truck. It was just a normal repair shop near the freeway, and they called and talked to the attendant, and they described who Bryce was, what he looked like, and the guy working there, his name's Christian. He's like, oh, yeah, I totally remember seeing Bryce, and I met him, yeah. Yeah, he said that he had brought Bryce three gallons of gas when Bryce had run out of gas. Right. And so after hearing, you know, Karen's voice, the man offered to go back and see if Bryce was still there in the area, and... Yeah, because he thought Karen sounded really concerned. Well, yeah, because she was really concerned. Yeah. So he did. He went back, and when he got there, luckily, he found Bryce in the same spot, and... It's the same spot that he brought him gas, so he was kind of like, hey, what's going on? But he called Karen, and he decided to put Bryce on the phone, and Bryce said that there was nothing wrong, and he just needed to grab some gas, and he'd be on his way home. Yeah, so this is where he tells Karen that he's on his way home, which that her and Mike have already kind of assumed that from the direction of travel that they've found him to be going. And so she tells him, fill up your gas tank and come home. Like, obviously something's going on, even though he told her that nothing was going on. So at this point, Karen and Mike assume that he's going to be at their house around 
3 p.m. that same day. Right. And by that time rolled around, he still wasn't home. And they tried reaching out to him, but they didn't get any responses back. Right. They called and texted and he wasn't answering. Right. And But they kept trying and trying and trying for several hours till his dad, Mike, decided to file a missing persons report with the Orange County Sheriff's at approximately 6 p.m. Yeah. And after the Orange County Sheriff's received the missing persons report, they pinged Bryce's cell phone, which it's like, hey, guys, even in 2013, you had the technology to do that like immediately. Why don't we do that in every missing persons case? Right. Absolutely. Like, let's. Yeah. But I'm glad they did it in Bryce's case. But the weird part is that they found out that he was still in Buttonwillow. And the crazier thing about it, he had only gone eight miles from where Christian had brought him the gas and then where Christian had checked up on him a couple hours after he had brought him the gas. And now we're hours from that and he's only eight miles down the road. Was he just in his car hanging out or was he outside of his car? Do we know what he was doing when Christian found him? No. Every report I've heard just says when they located him, he was near the interstate. And I'm assuming he was in his car because they performed a field sobriety test. And I don't think they would be even allowed to do that if he wasn't in his car. Hmm. Okay. Then, yeah, I guess he must have been in his car hanging out. But Yeah, because if you're not driving... They can't ask you to take a field sobriety test. That's just such a long time to just be sitting in your car doing nothing. I mean, again, it makes me think he's having this psychotic break. His, you know, his brain is just starting to kind of go. Yeah. So the deputies performed the field sobriety test and they searched his car and they say they found no evidence of drugs or alcohol and they felt like Bryce was acting normal. He was nice and polite and alert and when they asked him what he was doing, he said he was blowing off steam. Yeah, he's still interacting with everybody. You know, it's not like he's yeah. completely just shut down and not answering anybody's questions or anything. He's just not continuing his path home. So it's totally weird. But Yeah, but what's weird is that he is communicating with people, but not his parents. Right. Until those people put him on the phone with them, then he will talk to them. Exactly. Like Christian from the gas station put him on the phone with his mom and he talked to her. And then when the police are searching his car, they tell him he needs to call his mom. She filed a missing persons report and they say he was reluctant to call her and they even had to dial her phone number for him and then put him on the phone. And when she got on the phone, she asked them if he was okay to drive and they said that they were confident that he was fine. And so... They all said, Bryce, get in your car and go home. Your parents are worried. You know, he said he would. A few hours later, Bryce still hadn't made his way back home yet. So Karen, not really knowing what else to do, she called the man at the repair shop again, Christian, and said, hey, have you seen him again? He's not home. And Christian is like the nicest guy because he said, hey, you know what? I haven't, but I'll go up and I'll see if I can find him again. He is the nicest guy. Because if this lady called me more than one time, she's filed a missing persons report. The police have talked to him. I'd be like, excuse me, we are two hours from your house. We are now like 26 hours into this journey. Why aren't you up here? Just come up and get your son. You would uh, you would definitely let her know that she needed to come get her son and to <laughs> stop yeah. this nonsense. Well, th- I mean, this is the part that there's obviously more to the story. 
that we don't know. And I'm not saying that, you know, they're bad parents or anything like that, but there has to be more to this that we don't know. Yeah. Because no parent would be filing a missing persons report when he's two hours away. They've pinged his cell phone. They know where he's at. Why wouldn't you just drive there and get to him? Yeah, I agree. You know, if you're not already very far away, like at least meet him halfway, you know, you're really not that far then. So Yeah, it's inter- it's interesting the choices that every single step of this case, if any one of these things would have gone differently, things would have been so different. Yeah. And obviously like we said earlier, hindsight is 2020, but Yeah. I don't want to bash on him either. Like, like I don't said, either hind- because I feel like there's more to this story. I mean, there definitely seems like it. Absolutely. But like you said, Christian was the nicest guy in the world. So he went to where Karen told him the police had contacted Bryce and he was still there. Yeah. Again, he just hadn't moved. Hours later. Why wouldn't you want to go and get him? Like at that point, I just, I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't want to criticize, but it's, it's so hard to not in some I regard, mean, just say like, it's not that far. I know it's two hours. Yeah, but they're probably saying the same thing now, you know, so. Yeah. So, like, 30 minutes later, Bryce was back on the road because Christian was like, look, dude, I'm going to follow you onto the freeway, and you're going to go home because you're worrying your parents, and this is getting out of control. At this point, you've been in Buttonwillow for, like, 13 hours or something crazy. You're now the mayor of Buttonwillow. You've now the longest person who's ever been here. (laughs) Right. Even if you were going to stop there to sleep, say Bryce hadn't slept since the 27th when he took that Vyvanse to stay up all night and play video games. Even if you were going to stop and sleep 13 hours. Really? Yeah. Because there's a question on whether or not he's been to bed at this point. Because his roommate said he took the Vyvanse and stayed up all night the night before. Then he went to Kim's to break up with her. He didn't leave Kim's until 1130 at night. And then he's not seen until 9 a.m. the next morning in Buttonwillow when he runs out of gas, you know. So who knows if he ever slept. Right. Which could play a big factor into this. But even if he stopped to sleep at this point, he's been in Buttonwillow all day on Thursday. And I would think all there would be to do in Buttonwillow is to get gas, drive through, and sleep. So I guess he's done all of those things in Buttonwillow now. Right. So Christian follows him onto the freeway and follows him for a few miles and says, dude, go home. And he was going the right way. Christian gets off the freeway, goes back to where he's going. And over the next couple of hours, Bryce and his parents keep in contact over the phone and they keep asking him for landmarks and street signs because at this point he should have been home. Christian put him on the freeway in the right direction And he's still not home. Right. And I mean, I know it's, you know, they're asking for all this stuff and he's saying, I don't know. The GPS says, you know, I'll be home at this time. And it's like, they're trying to figure out, Hey, where exactly are you making sure that he's going the right way? He didn't accidentally get on the wrong freeway or something. And all he can say is the the GPS says I'm going to be home at 325. But at like 209 AM on the morning of Friday, August 30th, Bryce called Karen and he told her he couldn't see any street signs. He didn't know where he was, but he was pulling over for the night because he was too tired to keep driving. And he was going to sleep for a few hours in his car and then head to their house. So at this point, he's been on the road for 28 hours since he left Kim's house. Yeah. So this is like one of the first things that really makes sense is, yeah, he's been driving forever. He's been up for too long. He needs to sleep. 
driving for 28 hours and he's gone like four and a half hours south of where he left. Where's he been going? Nowhere. He's just been sitting in Buttonwillow all day. Yeah. He's getting the Buttonwillow experience. Yeah. So at this point, it's been like 28 hours. So like you said, it makes sense that he'd want to pull over and sleep. What doesn't make sense is that if your kid is less than an hour and a half, (laughs) two hours from your home, and he's telling you he's going to sleep on the side of the road in his car, like, why wouldn't you drive up and get him? Yeah. But I guess at this point, they didn't know where he was. He kept telling them that he couldn't see any landmarks or street signs. He wouldn't tell them where he was. So There you go. That's exactly why they didn't go to him. So that yeah, at least yeah. makes sense is if he's not telling them where he's at, they can't go there. Thank God we have Find My iPhone now. I was going to say, I guess they didn't have you know, GPS on each other at that point. So around 8 a.m., the doorbell of the last piece's home, it, it rang. And they were like, okay, finally, Bryce is home. And they went to go open it. But it was actually the California Highway Patrol. They asked if they had owned a 2003 beige Toyota Highlander. They said, yeah, our son drives that. And they said, okay, well, at 530 this morning, that vehicle had been found abandoned near Castaic Lake off an access road to the state recreation area, which is probably about two hours or so north. Of their home. Of their home, yeah. It had crashed, and it was found at the bottom of of a 25 foot embankment that was right next to the lake's like main boat access road right there. And it was on its side, which is like, ooh. It looks like a bad crash, but it does not look fatal. Like somebody could have survived it. 25 feet, that's just above two stories, right? No clue. Oh, I thought every 12 foot was a story. Oh, I don't know. Is that the rule? Oh, I thought so, but. All right, well, if you're going to commit to it. I'm not. I don't build anything for a living. Let's go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) No, obviously the car flipped, but it was not like so damaged that it looked like somebody died. Right. Totally. According to the patrol officers, the back window had been broken out from the inside. It appeared like whoever was in the car had been inside when it crashed and then broke their way out through the back window. And his laptop and phone were found in the car, and his duffel bag and wallet were found outside of the car, near the rear window that was smashed out. Bryce's blood was found on the passenger seat headrest and on the back seat, so like somebody was climbing over. But there wasn't enough blood to say that he was, like, seriously injured. So we know he was there. For sure we know he was there still, obviously. Like we opened up with, he just vanished. Yeah. So the first initial investigation at the scene showed that he went off this service area, but he had gone off of it and he was accelerating and not braking. So obviously that's a really weird thing to have happened too. Like you would think as soon as he felt like he was going over, he'd jam on the brakes. Apparently there's sort of an optical illusion here where it looks like the lake is right there, but it's not. There's this 25 foot embankment and that's where he went off. And so the investigators thought at the scene because he was accelerating instead of braking, that it was deliberate and he was trying to commit suicide. Or what if he fell asleep? That's what I've always thought. Yeah, what if he just he was very tired and he fell asleep? That would make perfect sense, especially on a road like this that was kind of dangerous. Right. I've always thought that. And they're like, well, why would he be accelerating? It's like, well, what if his foot was on the gas? Exactly, yeah. He, he fell, fell asleep, asleep mid, mid-acceleration. Yeah. Doesn't take much there, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, according to all Bryce's friends, his behavior was pretty reckless. 
you know, when he came back to school for his sophomore year. And he was drinking a lot of hard liquor, taking that Vivan, staying up all night. And his roommate even said that he had started giving away his things. Like, he gave his Xbox to his roommate and he gave him a pair of diamond earrings that his mom Karen had given him. And it's interesting too because he used that Xbox a lot. You know, obviously he was staying up late to play video games. So this was a treasured possession. And I would assume diamond rings, diamond earrings from his mom would be as well. So, yeah, his parents don't know why he would do this, but the authorities thought that it kind of could indicate that he was suicidal, you know, or experiencing some kind of like mental crisis or emotional crisis. Maybe the heavy drinking mixed with the drugs maybe had a psychotic effect or caused some sort of anxiety or panic or delusion or something. Oh, that's so scary. But Mike and Karen don't think so. You know, they think that he experimented with drugs and drinking and stuff, just like every teenager does, but that he wasn't like a substance abuser or anything like that because they say he was fine during the summer. So something happened the first week of school that made him start acting like this. Yeah, it could have been, but also, well, I guess not because I was going to say he's back home, but he's not from that area, so he's probably not going off and partying with whole bunch of people he knows so Mm -mm. yeah yeah that first week really must have done a number on him so we'll get into it in the theories because i have a couple theories about that but after the car was discovered they launched a huge search and i remember we lived near here at the time when this happened and it was all over the news it was everywhere yeah it was and bryce is hard to miss he's Got bright red hair, big, huge smile, green eyes. He has a huge tattoo of the Taurus symbol on his shoulder. Like, he's very distinct looking. And his face was everywhere. Yeah, and, you know, he definitely somebody who would would stand out in a crowd. You know, he he was just that distinct. Yeah, so they had hundreds of volunteers, search and rescue crews, cadaver dogs. Oh, cadaver dogs. I wish (laughs) that was what everybody called themselves. Anyway, continue. They had scuba divers, and everybody was on foot, ATVs, helicopters. They scoured the area, and they found nothing. Yeah, and no witnesses reported seeing Bryce in that area. So to help spread the news more, Mike started making missing persons flyers, and Karen started talking to the media. And during the first days of the disappearance, Bryce's parents received numerous tips throughout the western united states about possible sightings of bryce but nothing ever panned out when his parents were asked about bryce's mindset before his disappearance they said that he sounded lucid when they talked to him and that they don't think he would have just walked away from his life or committed suicide he wasn't known to be an outdoorsy guy or a hitchhiker And he wasn't familiar with the Castaic Lake area since they had just moved there a year before. And they didn't even move there. They moved south of there and he had moved north of there. So the only thing he would have known of the Castaic Lake area was driving by it. Yeah, I wish I wish we knew more about what Vyvanse and alcohol could do to his brain and how how quickly that could happen. Because it just in that first week, just flip that switch. It just seems like. You know, it went from zero to 200. No, I know. On September 4th of 2013, there was a jogger who reported a brush fire to 911 
and it was just three miles away from where Bryce had crashed his car earlier. And so it's obviously very likely that that could have been something he had started accidentally or on purpose. Right, because this is only four days after he went missing. Exactly. So, But when first responders arrived on scene, they did find a burned body, but it wasn't Bryce. And initially, everybody thought it was going to be Bryce, but it was actually a homicide victim from L.A. Yeah. But for a while, everybody thought it was going to be Bryce because he was the only one missing from that area. Right. And it lined up and made perfect sense. But yeah, when it wasn't... It was really sad. Yeah, but when it wasn't, there was a billboard that went up in the Castaic Lake area, and it had Bryce's image and all of the information of what had happened. So now everybody coming through knows what's going on. After the initial days of the search, they start finding they start finding more information day by day, and they finally find some surveillance footage from August 30th, which was the early morning of when he went missing. It was camera stills from some surveillance cameras from a cell tower going up the road that he crashed on, and it showed Bryce's car going up the road at 2.15 a.m., which is only like six minutes after he had talked to his mom and told his mom that he was going to go to bed. So this makes sense. I mean... It doesn't make sense. Why would you go up this road? To go rest. Where? At a desolate lake? Why would you go rest there? You'd rest in a rest area. No, there's nothing around you. I would. I totally understand why he would go and do something like this. Well, what doesn't make sense is then his car was caught again at 4.29 a.m. going up the exact same road. Correct. That makes no sense. I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, that's over two hours later going the same direction on the same road, which means he had gone up that road, turned around, came back, and then went up it again. That's kind of weird. That That is very weird. Like... It makes sense why he would go into something like that to sleep, but not why he would come back out. And then go back in. Yeah. Yeah, the police think that he was thinking about something or, you know, when their initial thought was suicide, they thought, well, he was contemplating or trying to get up the nerve to do it. Right. But nine days after Bryce went missing, they used bloodhounds to try and track his scent. And they caught his scent and they followed it to the dam at the lake. And then it went up to the truck stop area on Castaic Road. And this kind of led investigators to think that maybe he decided to just walk away from the accident and his life and everything and hitchhike and get with a trucker and just start all over and disappear. Yeah, which is hard to believe would be even possible with how much his face was all over everything. But if you're talking truckers at a truck stop, they're in and out all the time. They're not necessarily from that area or stay in that area. Right, but you would think that as big as this coverage got, they somebody would have said something or gotten through the trucking community and someone would be like, oh yeah, I picked a red-headed kid up with a big smile or you know, maybe saw his tattoo or something. So it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how word would disseminate through truckers that are just on the road all the time. I know they talk over CB radios, but that's only in the area that you're in. Breaker, breaker, one nine. Yeah. Or... Rusty now. <laughs> so according to the investigators, there's no indications that he met with foul play at all. But there's also no indications that he died by suicide. And they believe that if he had taken his own life, they would have found him somewhere near the lake. They would have found his body. Yeah, you definitely would have think by now. So they started after the bloodhounds traced his scent to the truck stop. And after they did all these searches, they kind of started changing their tune away from the suicide theory because it doesn't make sense. No. They feel 
like knowing what he wanted to talk to his mom about could be the key to figuring out this case, but we'll never know what that was until we find him. So that doesn't make any sense. And that's if he remembers at this point, too. Right. So after three weeks, all the searches were pretty much called off. And months passed with no leads. And the family hired a private investigator named Denise Savistano. And she specializes in missing persons cases. And she offered her services like pro bono. That's so cool. I think that's such such a cool thing to do for someone like this. Yeah. And she kind of determined that Bryce was going home to Laguna Niguel based on the coordinates that he plugged into his GPS. Which, I'm like, well, he talked to his mom and told his mom he's coming home. So you're kind of like behind the times lady but this is where she starts to think that he could have suffered a head injury as a result of the crash and leaving him kind of disoriented yeah we'll get into that theory in the theories but she thinks that it also could have been a psychotic break as a result of the drugs and alcohol and all that stuff so now we're back on track well now we're we're back to the same thing we've always known like so this private investigator has found nothing (laughs) Could think she was pro bono. <laughs> yeah, like the only thing that I found that she did like come up with something new was she helped the family hire a sonar specialist to search the super deep parts of the lake using, you know, sonar and sound waves and right. all that stuff. So they are pretty confident that he is not in the lake because if he would have been suicidal and went into the lake, they would have found him or he would have floated. You know, like what are the chances that? Yeah. So. Bryce's license and social security number, fingerprints, and passport have all been uploaded into a missing persons database that's nationwide, and his dental records have also been uploaded as well, so in case a body does come up, you know, it can get matched to him. But one thing that's interesting, too, is that none of the accounts that Bryce had access to were touched either, so he didn't take any money out of anything. So what happened to Bryce Las Pisa? Well, let's get into the theories. Theoryland. That's your favorite time. Theoryland is everybody's favorite time. Yeah. So the initial theory that the investigators had was that Bryce committed suicide because of the behavior that he was displaying before he left, breaking up with his girlfriend, giving some of his possessions away. You know, they thought that it was suicide. But after doing the initial investigating and all that, it's kind of like, how do we get to suicide? Because there's no body. Yeah, exactly. So you can't close this one. Yeah, I mean, that's still a huge theory that a lot of people think that he did commit suicide. But if he did, where's his body? Yeah, I agree. So the second major theory would be that Bryce willingly walked away from his life, which a lot of those same behaviors that he exhibited that caused people to think he was suicidal could also be acquainted with him leaving his life voluntarily. Does this happen a lot? Do people just up and walk away from their lives a lot? Because you and I cover a lot of cases, and this is a theory all the time. Does this happen so much that it actually happens? Because I don't know anybody who's actually ever pulled this off. Yeah, it does happen. But usually, especially in 2013, they don't leave no trace. All right, fair enough. People start new lives or run away or do whatever all the time. But usually you can find out where they are or what they're doing if somebody is looking for them. Because it's hard to leave zero trace. Yep, that's why I have no more serial killers. That's the problem with today's technology. 
That's not a problem. It is for our podcast. <laughs> so this theory is supported by the fact that there's no body. Yeah. And the bloodhounds traced his scent to the truck stop where it just vanished. Well, and his family doesn't think it could could have happened either. They don't think he would have just up and ran away. They also feel like he would have been open with them had there been something going on. But I think there was something going on, guys. I think so, too. That's why he said he wanted to talk to them, but then didn't ever make it down there. I think there was a lot going on. Absolutely there was a lot going on. I don't know. Now, the third major theory, and this is the one that the family believes. Along with that investigator, too. Right. Which is that Bryce is alive and he's possibly suffering from a head injury. The injury could have caused amnesia or something that would cause him to not know who he is. And this would explain why he hasn't tried to reach out to them. I think he has a head injury, but I don't think it's amnesia. Yeah. And this would be convenient because you don't want to think a family member is just Absolutely. like gone and doesn't care and doesn't want to talk to anybody. Like, Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, honestly, for them to think that. Yeah, and I think you have to take into consideration that they are his parents, so they should know him pretty well. And if they don't think that he would walk away, then you need to take that into consideration for sure. Right. But I just feel like if there was a kid walking around with this huge smile and this bright red hair going, I don't know who I am, they'd be like, oh, well, you look just like that guy on that missing persons poster. And there's a reward. (laughs) Come here, kid. You're going in. I feel like it would be harder for him to stay away as long as he has if he didn't know who he was. Because he wouldn't know to cover his tracks. I feel like if he had amnesia or something like that, I feel like he would have been found. Because they would have been like, hey, who's this redheaded kid? Yeah, I could definitely see that. Especially when there was a reward involved. Yeah. There have been sightings of Bryce, though, from California where he went missing all the way to Colorado and really everywhere in between but there's nothing that's been actually substantiated right because there's a find Bryceless pizza facebook page that i believe is run by the family and people post on there all the time like oh i saw a redheaded homeless guy in boulder colorado and this was where he was and but they never take a picture i know it's like if you see somebody that you recognize enough to go, oh, that looks like that missing guy, why wouldn't you at least snap a picture of it? Yeah, especially if you could get a picture of that tattoo, then, I mean, that would really help help a bunch of people out, please. No kidding. Anyway, if Bryce was alive today, he'd be 27 years old, and he has bright red hair, green eyes, and a huge tattoo on his arm of the Taurus, like, what is like, Zodiac symbol. Yeah. And then he also has the initials M and K tattooed on his arm for his parents, Mike and Karen. Oh, I was wondering what that was for. I I didn't see that. Okay. Yeah, Mike and Karen, yeah. So obviously he was very close to him. Yeah. So those are the three main theories. Suicide, he ran away, or he's got a head injury. Foul play really doesn't ever seem to come up in this, but I really think that is a possibility, too, that he got into the wrong truck with the wrong person. Um... Okay, I could see that kind of foul play. Yeah. I think more likely he had some kind of psychotic break and he is just not wanting to go home or, you know, just is not in a space to be able to go home mentally. Like, he just doesn't know how to or where to go or anything like that. Right. What about you? What's your theory on this one? I don't know. I kind of tend to lean towards the fact that he just started over. And that's hard to believe that somebody would just walk away from their family like that. 
But giving his stuff away and not wanting to talk to his mom on the phone, there's a lot of things that lean towards suicide. And maybe he was thinking about committing suicide, and then when he drove off that cliff and survived, he just walked away. I could see that. I could see that. Although, my argument against the suicide theory is the duffel bag. Because he went up to Kim's to break up with her. So he wasn't planning on staying the night at Kim's. Right. So then he leaves Kim's at 1130 and he starts to head down to his parents' house. If he never planned on making it to his parents' house, why did he pack a bag? Maybe because he had a girlfriend who maybe he spent the night with. And so maybe it was already in his car and, you know, he just hadn't taken it out because he didn't think about it. Maybe it's, maybe it was old clothes that were dirty. You know, we, we don't know. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing about the duffel bag is that it was open and outside of the car, like he had gotten something out of it after he got out of the car and before he walked away. What did he get out of it? If he was going to go commit suicide, what did he get out of it? There wouldn't have been anything in the bag because his car was searched by the police, so it wasn't a gun or pills or anything like that. So it's like, did he have like a new identity ready to go in that duffel bag and just walked away? Oh. Oh, man. I didn't think about that. That's some... That's a lot of thought that goes into that. Yeah, and how would he have the resources to do it? That seems like it's a little far-fetched. Yeah. I think it makes more sense that he fell asleep driving, drove off the embankment, or tried to drive off the embankment on purpose because he was suicidal. Right. But he survived, and then what happened? I mean, it does make sense that he was picked up by a trucker and started over. It does. I I mean, that isn't out of the realm of possibility, I guess. To me, there's only two options. He either went up there to commit suicide or he went up there to leave and start a new life. And it really could be either one. The head injury thing, even though I know that that sounds like a good theory that, oh, but it's like this isn't 96 and this isn't Unsolved Mysteries. If this kid was walking around not knowing who he is, we would have figured out who he was by now. Well, if anybody wants to see what Bryce looks like in that tattoo, you can go to our Instagram from Crime to Crime. And you can see pictures of Bryce, those tattoos, and just see that big smile that we were talking about, his bright red hair, you know, and just see, he really would stand out in a crowd. And if you do think that you see Bryce Laspisa somewhere, and you're going to go on his family's Facebook page and tell them where it is, take a picture. Everybody has a phone in their pocket. Don't just go, oh, I think I saw him in Boulder, Colorado. Like, take a picture of the guy. Maybe if he asks nice enough, he'll pose for you. Yeah. I just don't understand. Like, I take pictures of weirdos all the time in Walmart. Why wouldn't you take a picture of a guy you think is a missing person? Have you ever submitted a photo to peopleofwalmart.com? Once. I've done it, I think, twice, and I never got selected, but they should have been on there. (laughs) Mine didn't get selected either. Ah, man. I wonder how many pictures they get that don't get selected. Oh, God. Think about that. How many people of Walmart creatures there are everywhere that they can't put everybody up? That's crazy. Only the best. And trust me, I had a couple good ones. Yeah. All right, kid. Well, it's been a long night and a long weekend for us. So we should wrap this up and let everybody go. All right. Visit us at our Instagram, From Crime to Crime, or send us an email at fromcrimetocrimepodcast at gmail.com. Bye, guys. Bye. Love you. Bye, babe. Love you, too.